Well, hello and welcome to session 10 of the recovery course. And tonight's talk is called The Removal Business. And we're up to step seven. And step seven of a 12-step program says this. We humbly asked God to remove our shortcomings. And with that, we've put a verse from the New Testament. It's written by St. Paul in a letter that he wrote to the Ephesians. And he said this. God can do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Let's quickly review what we have achieved so far and where we are now. Uh, we have now taken some major steps towards our recovery. We've admitted that we have a problem and that in and of ourselves we're powerless to deal with it. We've come to believe that God can and does help us if we're prepared to seek him and turn our will and our life over to his care and direction. We then got to step four where we were encouraged to write what is known as a moral inventory, all those areas of uh, resentment that we hold and all those areas of shame that have moulded our lives. And we make this inventory and we confess all those sins and shortcomings to God and another person we trust. And the consequences of this act of confession is that we are now beginning to get free from the things in our lives that have enslaved us. When we bring out into the light all those things that we have painstakingly shrouded in darkness all our lives, they begin to lose their power over us. And we begin to appreciate deep within us God's promise, written by St Paul in Corinthians, he says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has Come. When we confess our sins to God, the slate is wiped clean. We have a new start with none of the baggage. And last week we decided that uh, there's little incentive to persevere with recovery unless the end result is that we become whole, happy, healed individuals with joy being the hallmark of our lives. What is the relevance of this course if the end result is a life in which we endlessly and grimly wrestle with self-denial and abstinence, where we are as miserable in our recovery as we are when we're indulging our addictions? And we briefly looked at how in the Bible certain words are mentioned a number of times. And one of them is that word joy, which is used in the Bible nearly 250 times. Therefore, joy is something that we can expect to experience in our lives. And I think that could come as an enormous relief to many of us. Our lives have probably been noticeably lacking in joy. Our upbringing was noticeably lacking in joy. But that doesn't mean there has to be a joy deficit for the rest of our lives. It is something that every single one of us here can begin to experience. 
And the secret that we discovered is to allow God to remove all our defects of character. And throughout the past week, when we, some of us have been looking at the coursework, we've been identifying what those specific defects are that he now needs to deal with. If we wish to succeed in recovering from our addiction, it is clear that we need to change. The former heavyweight boxing champion of the world, Muhammad Ali, once said this, a man who sees the world the same way at 60 as he did at 30 has lived and wasted 30 years of his life. If we leave this course fundamentally the same as we were when we started it, then sooner or later it is highly likely that we will end up back in our addiction. Recovery is all about change. And nothing and nobody can change me if I do not wish to be changed. Even God cannot remove my defects if I am resolutely and single-mindedly determined to hang on to them. Change will only come when I am ready and willing to let them go. The Bible sums up this willingness in Romans chapter 12. In the, in the first two verses of that chapter, Paul says this, Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. And then he goes on, Let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Over this last week, we have been considering step six, which says this, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. In other words, we have at last arrived in the place where we are saying, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to get rid of my character defects. I want to become the real me. However, the million-dollar question is, how do we get rid of our shortcomings when they're so firmly ingrained in our lives? Well, the good news is, and this is why I love these two steps most of all, the good news is that we don't. Step six does not read, I am entirely ready to have me remove all these defects of character. Read it again. It says, ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So how do we begin this process of having God transform us inwardly? Well, first, we need to recognise a character defect that, that we are willing to have changed. So, if you go back to look at your list that you made over this last week, choose a specific aspect of your, of your life that you are unhappy with. And we came up with a relatively short list of 10 character defects, which are the ones that Alcoholics Anonymous came up with in the big book. And these 10 character defects are fear, selfishness, resentment, 
envy, self-will, dishonesty, excessive pride or self-importance, it's what they called hubris, but that means excessive pride or self-importance, self-pity, insecurity, and an unwillingness to take responsibility for our own lives. And although, there, of course, there are many, many more, and we also provided you with a list of 65 additional defects. And I found those very interesting when I did them because I, it was amazing the number that one can actually tick off out of those 65. So there will be something there for each one of us that we may be willing to let God to begin with. Now, having identified the number one offender on our list of defects, in other words, the one that is the most destructive and causes us the most grief, then we simply ask God to remove it. And just be very specific about what it is that you want. In Proverbs, uh, a book in the Old Testament, it says this, we plan the way we want to live, but only God makes us able to live it. And that's key, I'll come back to that at the end. Our character defects have been taking root for all of our lives. And so we shouldn't expect them to disappear in an instant, although this can and does occasionally happen. There is that cliched sportsman's adage about taking one match at a time, and that is exactly what we need to do in our recovery. Progress happens one day at a time. Jesus said the same thing in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. He said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So this is actually a teaching of Jesus. We take one day at a time. As anyone who has attended one of the anonymous fellowships will know, an often heard mantra is we're not looking for perfection, we're looking for progress. So be encouraged, therefore, by, again, something St. Paul wrote in a letter to the Philippians, where he said, there has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. And, of course, the key to the success of this step is us. Yes, God will do it, but only with our permission. We must choose to change. As long as we are relying on our power alone, we are doomed to a life of struggling and ultimately failure. We cannot put God first if we're holding on to that position of power for ourselves. We must willingly submit to every change God wants us to make in our lives and humbly ask him to remove our defects. Humbly ask him, what is humility? And we may need to set the record straight by pointing out that it has nothing to do with humiliation. And often, I think, in our society, people look at humility and they see that as a weakness. It's not. It's the greatest strength that we can have. 
A good definition of humility can be found again in that letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, uh, where he writes, We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. In other words, humility is placing our confidence in God, not in ourselves. Pride kills our spiritual life because, in effect, we are saying, I don't need God's or anyone else's help. I can handle this. And do you know what? If we say that we don't really need God's help, then we don't get it. St. James wrote in his letter, it's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. And he goes on, so let God work his will in you. In the Old Testament, uh, again in Proverbs, it encourages us to get our priorities straight. It says these words, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. To make these changes in our lives that deep down we may long to make, all we have to do is be entirely ready to let God transform us. doesn't matter how and when he's going to do it. That's not our concern. Our responsibility is merely to give him the permission to get on with it. Twenty years ago, I was sitting in this church here uh, on an Alpha course. And on that course, I had what I suppose I would classify as a fairly major spiritual epiphany, very much a spiritual awakening. And overnight, my view of the world changed dramatically. Inwardly, I'd had this extraordinary seismic upheaval. where suddenly I realised that this supernatural God was one of the world's best-kept secrets. Although it changed me inwardly, as regards realising that it's like the lights had gone on, I did not change. I was working as a picture editor of a national newspaper over here, and my... Um, reputation or my nickname at this newspaper, I was known as The Beast. And so to suddenly have this spiritual awakening and to pitch up at a newspaper and people began to know that I'd had this spiritual awakening, that I'd now become a Christian, my character had not changed. So I still behaved in a way that I had always behaved. And often what people would say to me, they'd wince at something I'd do, and they'd say, you call yourself a Christian. I really made a massive effort 
to be a different person. And the harder I tried, the worse it got. And I remember it was two or three years later of making the most massive effort to look like and behave like a Christian that I realized I was no longer called the beast. After two or three years of massive effort, I was now known as Pol Pot, who was the gentleman who massacred millions of people in Cambodia. So in fact, my best efforts, I somehow suspect Pol Pot seemed slightly worse than the beast. So there hadn't been much of an improvement whatsoever. And I remember being so frustrated and just sort of saying to God, I said, well, I've had enough of this. This is just a complete waste of time. If I'm meant to change, I'm sorry, but you've got to do it. I'm just going to get on with my life and I'm not going to think about this anymore. You have my permission to change me. I didn't hear him sort of rub his hands with glee, but I guess that's what he must have done. Because I then no longer thought about being a better person, looking like I was a better person. It was his problem. And I think it was probably five years later, I can't remember the exact thing that happened, but I remember something happened, and I thought, oh, crikey, you've changed. Because I didn't react in the way that I used to react. And now, 20 years on, I'm a very different person to the one I was 20 years ago. The important thing being that I want to get across to you guys is stop trying. It's a waste of time. It doesn't work. If you want to become the person you are, deep down you know you are inside, just wave the white flag, submit, Give God permission to change you and then just get on with your life. Just be you. I would urge you to be yourself. That what people see is what people get. Stop trying to look like a Christian. Stop trying to look like a religious person. Just be yourself and give God permission to change you. Because the point is, any decision you make for instance, this week, any permission you give God, it's a bit like planting a seed. The person you are tonight is a result of what you planted five years ago. If we start giving God permission to plant good seed, in five years' time, you won't recognize the person you've become. And I don't mean that in a ghastly way. You'll be the real you. You'll be the bigger, better version, the more multicolored, technicolor version of you, rather than this rather shriveled up person that we're surrounded, people we're surrounded with who are pretending to be something they are not. Live your life before an audience of one. I urge you to be that kind of person. Be a person where you just want to hear the applause of God. So really the question I want to ask you tonight is, do you want to be a better person, a bigger person than the one that you have become? I know I do.
Do you want a new life? If so, God wants to change more than just our behaviour. He wants to change the way we actually think. So, will you let him?